Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week two of our series, The Wonders of Worship, and this week we are joined by both the Reverend Dr. John Guest and the Reverend Doug Rary as they answer what happens to us when we worship. Here is the message from the Reverend Dr. John Guest. Thank you for listening. Well, that's the truth, Lord. You are amazing. So even now, as you walk amongst us and come to us one by one, whether we're here on the platform, in the choir, even as I stand here to speak on your behalf, or the person sitting by themselves in the pew, you are amazing, Lord. Help us to grasp that. Come and show us yourself. Communicate yourself to us. Take my lips, Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills, Lord. Stir them, shape them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, one of the things we in leadership struggle with, and I would guess it's the same for you, and that is how to be authentic as a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just a show, not just some outer stuff, not just words, but somehow to have Jesus so in our lives that we know as others who meet us, talk with us, shop with us, play with us, work with us, live with us, they know that we're the real deal that we are authentic. That's a huge battle today. Nobody really knows what to believe about anything they hear or see. We're weary of being advertised to, shaped by spinmeisters. The truth be known, we're sick of it. And when it comes to our following Jesus and living for him, how somehow to be the the real deal and to convey that not as a showpiece but just being authentic in ourselves to be authentic and when we speak about worship which we are in that series those thoughts all spill over into what we call worship if you're visiting here today I guarantee as a visitor You are sitting here wondering whether we, as a church, are the real deal. Is this an authentic place of worship of you, Lord Jesus? Are these people what they seem to be? Do these words mean anything that the preachers talk about? Or are we just playing some sort of charade? If you're that person, isn't that true? You're checking us out. Are you going to come back? Do these people sound like they're really worshipping, singing what they're singing? Is this something I can be a part of? I need something that's real. I am fed up with all the sham of this world. I want something that meets me really and works within me really. Can that happen here? Or are we just saying words, being religious for an hour? I think that about my preaching. 
How do I convey to you the realities of worship and what God really does do in our lives when we worship together? You heard the interview on the screen. The pastors who lead our worship talking about that. I know they work hard at being real. Somehow conveying that what they're into, they're really into and not just playing a game. So it is with myself standing here wanting you to know that Jesus is for real. And as we worship him, something really happens in us as well as uh, expressing something to him. So I'm speaking to that very issue. What happens when we worship to us? Is there anything that's real about it? That when I leave here, it goes with me because it is real. Let me put in front of you this description of worship. The worshipper attends faithfully every Sunday, oblivious to those around him. He or she concentrates intently on the object of their worship. All week, speaking of an individual, he has prepared for this moment. He has read about the one he adores. He has talked about this day with others. And when he leaves hours later, his face is aglow with praise and thanksgiving for what he has experienced. His team won 20 to 10. Football fans on Sunday afternoon often reflect a truer attitude of worship, says this writer, than the average Christian. When the worship of God is superseded by the worship of a game, something is wrong. And then A.W. Tozer, a man who was a profound influence on the church in the 50s, when 1950s, has gone to be with the Lord. But he said this, The quality of our worship is enhanced as we move beyond the thought of what God has done for us and nearer to the thought of the excellence of who he is. This leads us to admire God. The dictionary uh, defines admiration as, to quote, to regard with wondering esteem, accompanied by pleasure and delight, to look at or upon with an elevated feeling of pleasure. According to this definition, again, says Tozer, it would appear that God has few admirers among us. Many are they who are grateful for his goodness in providing salvation, or answering their prayer in a troublesome situation. It is good and right to render unto God thanksgiving for all his mercies to us. But God's admirers, where are they? The simple truth is that worship is in its infancy until it begins to take on the quality of admiration. Just as long as the worshipper is engrossed with himself and his own concerns, he is a babe. We begin to grow up when our worship passes from everything that uh, we normally think of, of, about what God's doing in our life and thanksgiving, 
to an outgoing, awesome admiration. Let me give you some hints on worship. First of all, preparation. I've got just three words I want to put in front of you to help you and to help us be authentic. One is preparation. To be in anticipation as we head in toward our Sunday morning worship experience. Psalm 122 begins with these words. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Do you have that kind of anticipation or is this just something like you do because you're going through the motions? I'm saying curry the thought, encourage the thought of anticipation, looking forward to it, being with brothers and sisters, being able to sing together, affirm our faith together, hear God's word together, speak to him in prayer together. An anticipation of an amazing, this amazing God of ours, meeting us and our meeting him and having an hour or so of joyful worship, admiration, outgoing expressions of delight and pleasure because of who it is we have come to adore, speak of, speak to, share our lives with, embrace together, anticipation. Even when we come into the sanctuary, get here earlier as part of that preparation. Many of you come in after the singing has begun or barely before it begins. To be here early enough to sit down in that seat and open your heart to the Lord. Focus your attention. Scripture talks about us coming boldly to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and help in our time of need. But boldly to be sitting there in preparation, getting your heart in tune with the Lord so that when we really begin to worship together corporately, you're already on your way. You have spent those moments alone with him just between you and him. And now as a family together, we lift up our voices, lift up his name. Be prepared. You want authentic worship? You want God to authentically work in you? It all depends what you put into it. Does God do anything? Well, it all depends on what you put into it. The old slogan about the early days of the computer was garbage in, garbage out. If you don't come and bring yourself and you are prepared for worship, what do you expect? Is there any expectation? Have you set that all in place? I'm speaking very directly to you. A visitor coming here, just as I was speaking earlier, may actually have his whole eternity hanging on a thread of your authentic worship. Have you ever thought of that? That's what crosses my mind for us and my speaking. Are we real? Is it the real deal? Is it worth being prepared? Can we set the stage? 
I mean, you know the way it was described for the football game. There's all kinds of talk shows about our sports, news shows, conversation. We are the black and gold city. One of my daughters said she always knew when she was on the right plane coming back to Pittsburgh. Because so many people sitting in the plane were wearing black and gold. She knew they were on their way to where she was going. Pittsburgh. Do people get that impression of us when we get together or wherever we are? To be prepared. So to anticipate and get things in line. Second is this, concentration. To get focus. That's why the preparatory time alone is important. I know we tend to use the praise time as like a warm-up. It is part of our gearing up. I don't deny that. I know that I have been blessed so many times when I've come in weary, empty, struggling myself, and needing that time, and being lifted by that time. But to get our minds in place, you'll be surprised to know that the word liturgy comes from the Greek language and it literally means your working office doing something that's expected you of you in the workplace liturgy isn't just words to say it's us giving our minds our wills our imaginations focusing on who it is we are praying to When we say prayers, are we just saying words or are we speaking to someone? Let me ask you to do this. To go home with your service sheet and memorize the prayer of confession. So that you are not reading that together when we confess. But your eyes are closed. You are looking into the face of Jesus. And you are speaking to him. Almighty and merciful God. And speaking prayers to him. When you say the Lord's Prayer. I know how easy it is just to go through the words. We try to slow it down here. Because you've heard the Lord's Prayer prayed like a mantra. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be. Who's praying that? They're just words. Are we talking to the Father? Is he our Father? Is that the way you talk to your dad or mum if you're a kid? Or to each other as a husband and wife or with friends? You just rattle stuff off? talk to God but that means being focused most of you have the Lord's Prayer remembered and memorized so you can say our Father who art in heaven so you see him there hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven even as you pray those words you can bring people to mind situations to mind our government to mind thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven your job your career your health etc give your mind to it get focused and be real which leads me to the third tip and that is the use of your imagination As far as any of us knows, we are the only creatures in God's creation that can deliberately stop and in our heads imagine some other sensation or situation than the one we're just standing there looking at. 
Did you ever think of that? It's impossible to worship sincerely and really and nothing's going to happen in your worship service unless you use your imagination to take you to what the words are describing or to the person to whom you're speaking. Do you see Jesus in your mind? Are you before the Heavenly Father? When you pray confession, what goes on in your head? Do you see yourself kneeling at the throne of God? One image. Or kneeling at the cross with Christ dying for your sins as another image. So when you pray the prayer, you are looking up to him who made your forgiveness possible. In your head and in your mind. You're speaking to him. He is here. He is real. He does love you. He wants you to confess. He wants to hear your heart. Use your imagination. That beautiful song I can only imagine. And what's he imagining? What heaven's like. In our prayers and our worship and our adoration, we have sung this morning, holy, holy, holy. Do you know that's a description of the worship in heaven? Have you ever seen yourself gathered with the thousands and millions of heaven praising God? In your imagination, you can go there. So those three words, preparation, concentration, and this imagination. You start putting that together and you will experience an authenticity in your worship that lights your fire and the fire of others. So let me bring you to the text that was read, which is really part of a letter from Jesus, who sends a letter to the seven churches of this area, which in the old days was called Asia Minor, today is called Turkey, and I've actually been to the sites of those churches with people that we've been touring with. And this is the last of those letters, of the seven letters that Jesus sends via his apostle John to these various cities. And this one was to the church in Laodicea. This is chapter 3 of Revelation. I'd encourage you to go home and read it, and you might be encouraged to do so as we take a look at it. But what we read was, those whom I love, I rebuke. So this is a love letter. He's going to rebuke them, that is, criticize them, bring some sense of judgment to what's going on there. But he's doing it in love because he loves them. It's a love letter with some tough things to say. In fact, this is the most difficult statement of the seven letters to these seven churches. Listen to what he says, verse 15, what he's already said. I know your deeds. The Lord really knows who you are. He knows what's going on with your life. There's a beautiful prayer that comes with our Anglican tradition. Listen to these words. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That's our God. And when you read here, I know your deeds. He knows what's going on. Listen to what he describes here. Revelation 3 verse 15. That you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you, the old King James version of this, spew you out of my mouth. How severe is that? Does that sound like a love letter to you? Well, what he's writing to are a people who at one time experienced his love, were in love with him, reshaped their life according to his words and desires and the spirit at work in them. But it all ground down. In fact, they became tainted, infected with the world around them, which was very affluent and well taken care of. Listen to what he goes on to say. You say, this is verse 17, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Big temptation for us to be there today. We live in the wealthiest society the world has ever known. We are rich. So easy to be dependent upon that wealth and comfort and security. And there's nothing wrong with the wealth and the power that it brings. Except when it takes the place of the Lord. As against bringing all that wealth and the success and the security and the affirmations we have in our society and use them for the Lord. We spoke about that when we were talking about humility a few weeks ago. Humility is not pretending I don't have anything or I'm nothing or I can't do anything. Humility is taking everything you are and giving it to the Lord and using it for him. It is. Like Jesus, he knew who he was. He never denied who he was. He wanted people to know who he was. The son of God in the flesh who'd come to give himself a ransom for many to serve us, to be the servant. He knew who he was, but he used it all to rescue you and me. That's humility, putting it at his disposal. It's his. Listen to what he says in response to that accusation. Because this is Jesus writing to a group of people in this town called Laodicea. He says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked but in his love letter he goes on to say this I counsel you to buy from me him Jesus gold refined in the fire so you can become rich riches with his grace rich in a completely different world than just the wealth of this world rich in his eyes and to be clothed as he says here, in white clothes to wear, I bring to you, covered in innocence, covered in beauty, my kind of beauty. And then he goes on to say, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and then salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Which brings us all to this verse that was read. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. Again, the old King James Version says, be zealous and repent. Get fired up about me, with me, through me. Repent. 
And then this beautiful picture of love. Behold, said Jesus, I stand at the door, the door of your life, and knock. What a picture of Jesus' humility visiting us, coming to us one by one, knocking at the door of our lives, given what he's just described here, this pathetic, tepid, half-and-half, not convicted or convinced or committed in any way, neither here nor there, neither hot nor cold. Jesus said, I wish you were one or the other. Even in the Greek, those words mean boiling hot and frigidly cold. Even the use of those words means the extent to which he's really describing how hot he wants them to be, and if they're not going to be there, don't sit around in the middle, tepid, somewhat indifferent. At least express some kind of real commitment to not believing. Don't look like you're supposed to be. Talk like you're supposed to be, but you're not. Half and halfing it. Gets back to that issue of the authentic, real deal. He stands at the door of our lives and knocks and wants to come in. He wants in on your life. He wants you to throw open wide the doors of your life and let him in an all-consuming, all-present, in every place of your life influential to both excite and honor as well as to trim and to shape, to be in you, you, by name, you, He knows you, and he knows what's going on. Oh, how we long to see this church filled with people praising God. Every empty seat is in effect an indictment of either our worship, or our leadership, or our ministry. Are we that authentic, and real, and excited, that our lives exhibit to somebody else where they need to be on a Sunday morning because this is our station our gas filling station our time to be together as fanatics of Jesus fans cheering him on responsive to him oh that we might all be that authentic Let me just close with this, written by a minister in England who was very, very famous, actually during the First World War. And he wrote this, what is a sad description of what we may have become. He said, when Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through his hands and feet and made a calvary. They crowned him with a crown of thorns. Red were his wounds and deep. But those were cruel and crude days. And human flesh was cheap. When Jesus came to, it says here, Birmingham. That's England. I'm going to put in Pittsburgh. When Jesus came to Pittsburgh, they simply passed him by. They never hurt a hair of him. They only let him die. For men had grown more tender and they would not give him pain. 
they only just passed down the street and left him in the rain. Still Jesus cried, forgive them, they know not what they do. And still it rained the wintry rain that drenched him through and through. The crowds went home and left the streets without a soul to see. And Jesus crouched against a wall and cried for Calvary. Describes these people of Laodicea. And yet he comes to them again, knocks at the door of their lives and says, let me in. I will sit and have a banquet with you, dine with you and you with me. And you will sit with me on a throne when I assume my leadership role for all eternity. He comes to us again, to you again, to me again. Let's be real in these few moments as we close. Bow your head with me. See Jesus. See him. There before you. You remember those days when you were so excited about him? To one of these churches, he calls them back to their first love. Church at Ephesus. He calls us back here this morning to that first love. To be done with all the game playing. And simply love him. And adore him. admire him surrender to him O Lord have mercy on us thank you for loving us enough to come and address us and speak to us this way All because you do desire the very best for us. So we do, with whatever energy and passion now we bring to you, repent and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for the thing I've made it. Help me now to lay down my life at the cross at your feet and hand myself over to you thank you Lord for this very moment Amen let me mention this I've got in my hand a book which I've been looking at over this weekend. It's one that I wrote a number of years ago. But I realize that this describes how authentic I, John Guest, want my life to be and your life to be. They will have it in the bookshop for you to get. It's called Beating Mediocrity. The Six Habits of the Highly Effective Christian. Worship is just one of those six habits. 
which we've been addressing this morning. But God has spoken to you this morning. What happens when we worship? What has just happened when we worship? God speaks to you. A love letter desiring the very best for you. Calling you out to something way beyond where you have been or even back to where you used to be. And it's real. And it can be for you. So if you've never gotten your hands on this, know that it expresses from my heart to yours what it means to be an authentic, go for it, follower of Jesus. Pass over to uh, Pastor Marcus. And he will lead us into our singing together. But please, sing to him, to Jesus.